All right. If you will take your Bibles out, please, and open them to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and again, the sixth chapter, if you would join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And again, this morning, we're just going to read verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews chapter 6. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom in this day. Lord, help us to see the things that you give that draw us unto you. Help us to understand the the common grace and the providence of mercy that, that is so lavishly poured out upon us. And help us to understand the power of being given your word what it means to carry that word, Father, and give us courage. Lord, I pray that you would light a fire for the gospel in every one of us. Let us be a people who are clear, concise, and passionate about the glory of Jesus, that we would not be content to allow his name to be defamed by anyone, and that we, God, would seek to always bring the gospel to bear on every situation. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. So the sovereign right of God to send what rain he chooses is undeniable. We talked about this last week, how the physical rain can fall and God alone can bring it. And and despite all of man's efforts to make it rain, we can't. But it's not only true in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. He sends what he will for the purpose that he has determined before he created anything. And there is no part of our lives that is not under the hand of providence. No part of our lives that does not owe God everything. Often, however, we impose our judgment on the will, the word, and the works of God so that we actually begin to believe that we have the wisdom, strength, and right to decide if what God does is good or not. We, as the people of God, must learn to position ourselves in submission to the sovereignty of God in all of his ways and to understand that we do not have the ability or the right to pass judgment on God. Neither do we have the ability or the right to pass judgment on his ways. For his ways are past all of our understanding. Romans 11 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For he has, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Natural man is incapable of seeing this truth. The born-again man can see it only because God has opened his eyes and given him light and understanding and actually given to him the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapters 2, starting at verse 13, says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
With this in mind, we must learn to adjust our thinking about the will of God, about His truth, and about His word, and His absolute right to do whatever He pleases with everything that is His own. And beloved, that means everything. So I want to think with you this morning about common grace, and I want to think with you this morning about how His word is a part of that common grace, that God gives to us the truth of His word. And then he gives it to us and commands us to share it, regardless of what we think is going to happen by sharing it. Right? So often we're guilty of looking at, at a situation and we think to ourselves, this is what the Bible says, but this person is not going to receive that, so I'm just going to be quiet. This is what God says in his word, but I know this person's position, and I know how they're going to respond, and I don't want to deal with their anger, so I'm going to just ignore it. This is what God's word says, but I know how this person's living, and I know their opinion, and I know their perspective, and I'm really not up for that today, so we just will be silent. That's not our right. That's not our prerogative. God sends the rain where he sends the rain, and in this analogy, beloved, you are the clouds carrying the rain of the word of God. And and it's one of the common graces that are so frequently ignored But remember that common graces, every good and perfect gift, comes from the Father of lights. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting at verse 16. James gives us this very clear, very pointed instruction. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So what's James telling us in regards to what God has done in us? He has brought us forth by his will and for his purposes. And what is that will? That will and that purpose is that we would bear the stamp of the holiness of Christ and that we would be the first fruits of what God is doing as he's bringing his glory upon the earth. It doesn't mean that you get to decide as a a follower of Christ, if you have been made alive and God has given you his heart and given you his mind and given you his will, you do not have the legitimate prerogative to say to God, I'm not really going to participate in the advancement of the kingdom. It's not your right. You've been made alive, and you've been made alive for the purpose of the advancement of the kingdom of God. You have been made alive for the purpose of displaying his glory. And so your, your job as a follower of Christ is to be focused on how you may advance the kingdom in whatever circumstance or life God has given you. And it's remarkable to me how diverse the sphere of those lives and influence are even in a small group like this. We've got people that work locally. We've got people that work in other communities. We've got people who work all over the half the state of Kansas. We've got people that are working remotely. We've got people that are, are connected at, at information technology and people that are connected in mechanics, people that are connected in the medical fields, educators. We, we've got a, such a host of people. And all of them have a responsibility to use the influence that they have for the sake of the glory of God. That's why he made you who he made you to be. 
And that's why he placed you in the sphere in which he placed you. Excuse me. So as you think about the common graces that have been given to you, consider that the word of God is one of those common graces. So when I say common graces, what am I talking about? Just to help us get a picture of what I'm driving at here. Well, the Bible says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. It's what he gives to man as a whole. So you look out the world and you see the beauty of nature and you think to yourself, wow, that is majestic and God does good work. Amen? But when a lost man looks out at the creation, what he says is, huh, that's pretty. And that's as far as his mind goes. People will tell you, oh, I can, I can worship God on the lake in my boat. You can, but you won't. I understand. I like to fish. I know how it goes. You get wrapped up in what you're doing. You're not worshiping God. Don't pretend. So, in the end, the graces that have been given to us, they are designed to draw us to God, but they will only draw us to God if our hearts are His. But the same grace is given to all. The same common graces that point the way. Romans 1 tells us that in His creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, even His eternal nature and Godhead. So when you look at a tree, if you look at it properly, you will see indications of the eternal nature and Godhead wrapped up in the leaf that you're examining. And if you, if you take time to read old botanists, and most of the older scientists were Christians, they were godly men, because real science only happens in a world that is created according to order. If it's all random and it's all accidental, you don't get science. You get supposition, you get imagination, you get ridiculousness, which is what we have in the world now masquerading as science. But if you read the old books and you begin to understand, these people looked at a leaf and they saw the hand of God in how he had created it and designed it. The, the textbooks from the old days are just magnificent displays of the glory of God by men who are scientists who happen to be Christians. And it changes the way they see the world. So the world shows us the glory of God in ways that we need to understand the majesty of his creation and the natural abilities and talents that God gives. They are designed to display him. So when you listen to somebody sing, even if they're not a Christian, if your mind is right and they've got a good voice and a beautiful song, you should be saying to yourself, Lord, what you have done is amazing. Because it points us to his glory. He's the one who gave the gift. You can ponder how strange it is that these little things vibrating with air carries forward across space and, and, and even time, if you stop and think about recordings and all of that, and it causes air to vibrate in somebody else's head, and it moves the little membrane inside their ear, which makes the little hairs wiggle, which translates electrical currents into the brain, which you translate then as sound. And all of that happens because God said, that'll be cool, let's do it. It's common grace. He does that because life doesn't have to be good, but he made it so. You sit down to table and you're going to eat a fine meal that somebody has taken time to prepare. Have you ever pondered the fact that God didn't have to make it taste good? He, he, because he made it to sustain us within that system, he had to make it nourishing. 
But he didn't have to make it taste good. He didn't have to make it smell good. I came in the house the other day, and Joyce was making a dish with curry. And the minute that I opened the door, it was like, ah, oh, curry. I smell it. And right away, I could smell it, right? This is something profoundly amazing that God gave to us just to show us how good he is. But the only people who can see it that way are people who are alive. But the same message is there for the lost. It should point them to God. It should point them to his glory, the protection that keeps us alive, the favorable circumstances that allow one man to advance and to to make good on, on the ideas that are in his head. I look at some of the modern inventions and things that people have created, and I think to myself, wow. But to be honest with you, I look at some of the old inventions and the simple ways that people made things work without all of the electronics and technology, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, how in the world did they do this? It's common grace. It's God allowing us to live and to breathe and to have our sphere of influence and use the talents that he gave us so that he might be glorified in it. But whether you are alive or not, you are better for that common grace. God gives it to you. It's a mercy. And the same thing is true of how we ourselves are supposed to deal with the greatest common grace of all, which is the ministry of the Word of God. You are not supposed to just hold it back for yourself and then share it only with people who agree with you. That's the safe way. That's the coward's way. And it's always nice when you share the Word of God to have somebody say, Amen. But it's valuable to you and to them if nobody does. And if your entire audience is looking for something to throw at you. Because you are displaying what that common grace really is. And there just might be somebody in the crowd that God is going to use that grace to call to himself. There might not be. Because in the end, the common grace that we give is entirely up to God to do with what he will. Let's go back to the picture of rain. Look at Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting at verse 13. It shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land, which the Lord is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. So God gives to us the command to speak his truth 
Because when we speak his truth, it has the effect of helping the people in the world around us keep their eyes and their mind and their lives fixed on God. Because the common grace of the world and and the rain and the beauty and the majesty and the wisdom and the good things that God gives us, they're, they're not going to do it alone. There must be something else. And so God calls us as His people to be the messengers of this grace of His Word. He calls us as His people to speak the truth of God and He will direct your paths and put into your path the people that He wants you to speak to. Think about all the people that you come into contact with in the course of a day. There will be some overlap between all of us and the people that we interact with. Some. But most of the people that you interact with are yours alone. Most of the people that you interact with in in this world and the life that you live, as diverse as our our lives and, and professions are, most of the people that you interact with, they're going to be people that are reserved for your life. So it is your responsibility to bring to them the common grace of God's word. They're not going to get it from others. They might. God clearly has other people in their lives as well. They're not, you are not the only person they see. But you still have the responsibility to be a faithful messenger of the grace of God. Because you don't know who among them God is calling unto himself. God will always use his word to draw to himself the ones that he has chosen. And he doesn't tell us who they are. Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God says to us, he chose us before he did anything. He knows the ones who are his own. And he will use his word to call them unto himself. And since you don't know who they are, the picture that's given to us by Jesus in the, in the parable of the soils is the broadcasting of seed. So the sower goes out into the field and he has the bag of seed with him and he takes the seed and he just throws it out wherever it will. And it falls on four different types of soil. And the result that comes out of the seed is dependent upon the work of the seed and the soil interacting. The only job of the sower, that's you, is to cast the seed. Because in the end, though God himself gives the common grace, God also is the only one who gets to determine its results. It's his to do. It's his to make use of. It's his to grow or his to let die. But understand this, whatever results come are always going to be successful according to the will of God. That's 100% accurate. That's 100% true. That is 100% real. That God's work is always successful. Look at Isaiah 55. Now we're going to kind of drill in our attention and think more specifically about this common grace of His Word and our responsibility to sow it. So I'm going to shift that gear just slightly. Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 10. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. There is the tie-in picture for us again. But they make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from me. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper 
in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So the Lord says, I will make sure that my work, my word, always accomplishes my purpose. And in the end, what's he promised us about that purpose? That it will be good. In the end, we have his guarantee that however his word plays out in somebody's life, in the end, it will be good. And we have to take him at his word for that because these things are God's promise. Now, I want to think with you about three different aspects in which we can know that his work is always successful. I'm going to think with you about how it applies to everybody, and then how it applies to the, to the elect, the chosen, and how it applies to everybody else. So the very first thing that I want to think about is the general terms about how God's work teaches everybody. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. And we'll read the first four verses of Deuteronomy 32. Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Give, O heavens, ear, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, let the words of my mouth, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So the first thing that the word of God gives to everybody who hears it is an accurate perception of who God is. Now, they may not understand it accurately, but the word gives an accurate description of who God is. Understand this. God is exactly who he says he is in the Bible. He is not up to us to define. It's not up to us to to put our heads together and go, okay, what do you think God's like? No, what do you think God's like? I think God's like this. I think God's like that. That's blind men and the elephant, and in the end, none of them have it right. God is exactly who he says he is in his word. And that's really important for us to fundamentally believe and grasp and wrestle out all of the implications. It means that if you have a question about God, the place to get your answer is in the Bible. If you have a question about how God thinks or what God does or what God expects, the place to get your answer is in the Bible. It also means that you have the authority to speak the truth and know that you speak the truth regardless of what somebody thinks about it. You can speak the truth to somebody and say, this is what the Word of God says. And they might look at you and go, I don't agree with that. And you can say to yourself, it doesn't matter if you agree. Truth is truth. What God says is what God means. And God shows us who He is through His Word. Moses says, listen to my Word and I will tell you of the nature of God. I will tell you of His attributes. I will tell you of His goodness. I will tell you of His greatness. My word defines who I am, says God. 
It defines it in terms that you can understand. Now, does this mean that God is not any more than He expresses in His Bible? It does not. But it means that what God tells us in the Bible is what we need to know about Him. And it is the basis for which all other revelation later in glory will be found because it is always true. God will never contradict His Word. He will never go back on what He says. His Word is truth. And His Word is absolute truth, regardless of what anybody may think about it. It displays His attributes, and it teaches us wisdom and righteousness. Malachi 2.7 says, The lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from His mouth, for He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So when we come to the Word of God, we understand that we see truth. And in this context... You are the priesthood of God. Peter says you are a holy priesthood. You are a holy nation. You have been made priests unto God. Your job as a Christian is to carry the truth of God's Word and you should be such a person that when somebody in the world has a question about who God is, they know to come to you because you trust the Bible and you know what the Bible says and you will answer them truthfully according to the Word of God. And if you set yourself to be that person, you will be surprised at how often somebody will do that. If you are a person who who carries with them the truth of God's Word and speaks the truth of God's Word and references your ideas and your opinions back to the Scripture, then people will begin to understand, as there's a question, that's the guy to go talk to because he understands God's Word. Whether they believe it or not, there is still a reverence for the truth of God's Word that's... It's buried a little deeper, but it's still there. It seems to be dying on the vine in many, but I think it's still there. I still find sparks and glimmers. And I'll tell you this much. When you open up the Bible and you let the Word of God speak and you answer somebody directly out of the Scripture, it will end the argument right there. Because truth speaks. They may not like it. They may not agree with it. But they can't fight against it. Let the Word of God flow from you. Let the Word of God be spoken. Let the Word of God be that which you give as you pour out the grace of common rain, of common grace. And because we're called to glorify His name. Psalm 115.1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. In the end, this displays the perfection of His eternal plan. What is it that God is doing as He is working out His plan in us? Do you need to guess about that? No, you don't need to guess. You need to take God at His word. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Starting at verse 8, Paul writes, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So what is it that Paul says God's purpose is? His purpose is that he is displaying the wisdom of his plan in, in the heavenly places, that he is showing to, to all the watching angels and all the watching demons that what he is doing here is ultimately right. And when Christ is being formed in you, God points you out and says, see, I was right. See my wisdom, see my plan, see the perfection of all that I do. It brings glory to his name when his people walk in this truth and when we display what it is. When, when we live this out. And this is something that not only impacts us, it also impacts the lost because God is doing what God is doing. And there just might be somebody who is chosen among the lost people that you're communicating to. So what's its impact in our lives as the elect? Well, first of all, it effectually calls the elect unto himself, the word of God, this common grace of his word. It's what calls us. Psalm 65, 4 says, Blessed is the man that you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and of your holy temple. So it is the word of God that draws us, and it makes us alive. Psalm 110.3 says, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. I love that verse. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. So what this means is that God calls us to himself. His word calls us to life. His power is exerted over us. And when it is, the immediate response is that he makes us willing to obey him. He makes us desire him. He changes our wanter so that we say, yes, Lord, I want, I want to be forgiven. I want to be seen as yours. I want to follow after Christ. That decision is often the only thing that we notice, which is why people think that they decide to follow Jesus. But the truth is, is that before that decision was made, God already made them alive. People become volunteers in the day of his power. In the day that his power has been exerted, they decide to follow after Jesus. Because his word also imparts truth to us. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, there's also the impact of the fact that the Word of God has power in our lives after we have been saved. It teaches us grace. It teaches us wisdom. It teaches us how to love and how to honor God. It teaches us His will. But it also comforts and eases our burdens and our souls. Jeremiah 31.25 says, I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Beloved, understand this. When, when you are actively involved in sharing the Word of God, there is a flow-through benefit for you. Because if you're speaking the truth of God's Word, what else are you doing? You're hearing it. You're taking it in yourself, even as you're sharing it with others. And if you're burdened, and you're troubled, and you're, and you're saddened, and you're broken, and you're, you need comfort and you're sharing the truth of God's word with somebody, what's happening in your life is that God is also lathering you in the the grace of his word. He's giving to you the goodness that he's promising. He is allowing us to see his glory and to see his beauty. Now, what is the impact of his word on somebody that is not chosen? 
This is not necessarily pleasant for us to consider, but it's important because often we tend to think if what I want to see happen doesn't happen, then I must be doing it wrong. And that's not a faithful understanding. You can't force somebody to receive Christ. You can't make them do it. You can't emotionally manipulate them to genuinely receive Christ. You can emotionally manipulate people to give a decision. It goes on all the time. But it doesn't make real converts. So you have to understand the truth that when you speak the Word of God, some of the people that you're speaking to are going to be called. They're they're going to be saved. Maybe not in this moment, but the, the work that you're doing is going to bear fruit. But there's always the temptation to be discouraged by the fact that many to whom you speak are not being saved as far as you can tell. And so the temptation arises then is to say, well, what's the use? Well, God says there is a purpose even for them to hear. So, the first thing that it does is it leaves them guilty. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Paul writes, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You say, well, why in the world would I want to leave somebody guilty? Well, let me ask you this. Who do you love more, them or God? It ought to be God. And if we love God more, then our greatest concern should be the vindication of His name and the vindication of His glory and the vindication of His will. And I understand that this is very hard for us to get our heads around because God has made us love the people that He's put into our lives. So love them all the more and continue to hope that God is calling them, but do not stop speaking the word of truth to them regardless of what you see in their lives. Do not think for one minute that if you do not get to see the result, that no result is happening. Because whether God is calling them or not, something important is going on. It also has the impact, in, in some cases, to harden their hearts. Isaiah sixty-three seventeen says, O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. And in Romans chapter 9, if you skip forward just a couple of chapters, Paul writes this starting at verse 15. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Again, this is hard truth. This is difficult truth to process. But it is truth that as followers of Christ, we are obligated to deal with. Because the the reality is, if we don't process this right, It's either going to completely twist our evangelism or it's going to turn it off altogether. Because the number of people that you're going to share Christ with who are going to respond immediately is fairly low. 
I can count on one hand in a lifetime of doing this the number of people that I've shared Christ with that have immediately turned. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to believe that what He is doing is right. And you're going to have to take Him at His word that the called will come and that the lost will stand guilty and that what He does is always right. As hard as that is for us to get our heads around, the best way to do it is to understand that God is worth more. In the end, no man loves God as he ought. And one of the other things that happens is that it shows us the perversity of our hearts, which can call men to salvation. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting at verse 35. John writes, speaking, Jesus said, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of men. Of God. So that entire passage, Jesus himself stood before these rulers in the synagogue and told them the truth, and they believed him. But they didn't obey him because they were more concerned about what men thought than what God thought. You say, well, that's a very depressing truth. Well, it is, unless you understand that later on, we have biblical indication that many of those people later confessed and repented and turned and followed after Christ. So my point is, you don't know what the end result is going to be of your sharing of the gospel in anybody's life. All you can see is this moment. And this moment is a very small, punctiliar place that as soon as it's here, it's gone. You could even argue, if you want to have your brain get all twisted up, that this moment doesn't even really exist. Because you can't quantify the moment. The moment that you think you've got it, it's past. Chew on that for a while, just later. Right now, pay attention. (laughs) Ultimately, we need to understand that our understanding of what God is doing is far too limited to pass judgment on it. So all we can do is obey. We can trust that his word accomplishes what he set it out to do. And not because I tell you, but because he tells you. We can trust that God is going to fulfill his purposes. He is going to save the elect. He is going to glorify the name of Jesus. He is going to make much of the Christ 
who gave himself for his own. And we can believe that, and we can understand that if this is true, and I promise you it is, then we have a responsibility as the people of God to his word and to be a people who bring the rain. We have a duty to preach the word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. These are some of the very last words of Paul. These are things that he wanted his his son in the faith, Timothy, to understand. He says this, beginning at verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will appear, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So how are we supposed to preach the word? We're supposed to preach it diligently. Conscientiously, understanding that God tells us, give the truth of my word to the people that I entrust to you. They need to hear it. The time has come when they are turning aside to fables. They are imagining false things and believing them to be true. They are making pretenses up in their minds and up in their hearts, and they have determined that the things that they have imagined are the things that are real. You have a responsibility to bring the truth to bear against the lies. Preach the word. Preach the truth. Be profoundly careful that what you give to people is the truth of God's word. And you need to do it watchfully. You need to be looking for the opportunities that God presents to you. And some of them will be in season. Some of them will be out of season. Meaning some of them will be received well and some of them will be received poorly. But God is giving you the opportunities that he gives you. So be watching for them. Pay attention to them. Be careful that you're always looking for what God is doing. And when you speak the word, speak it carefully. Make sure that you're articulating it accurately. Be truthful. Don't hide the things that are hard. Don't don't think that if you tell somebody, if you continue to rebel against God, you will end up in hell. Don't think that that's hate speech. The world says it is. I assure you it's not. If you see me drinking a glass of something that I think is water, but you know it's poison and you let me drink it, you've just killed me. Does that make sense? If we allow the world to continue in its illusions, we are culpable and guilty of its punishment. That's what God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3. He says, I've made you a watchman. And if I tell you somebody's going to die for their sin and you tell them and they continue to rebel, they die for their sin, but you've delivered your soul. But if you stay quiet, they'll die for your sin and I will require their blood at your hands. You have a responsibility to speak the truth of God. Declare His Word. Declare it constantly. You should be a person of one note as far as the world is concerned. Oh, I don't need to ask him. I know what he's going to say. He's going to quote some Bible verse. 
That's a good thing. Let it be the case. Let it be true of you that every person you know knows that when they poke you, what comes out is something biblical. And make sure they know you're speaking the Scripture to them. Say, the Word of God says, the Scripture says, God says in His Word, however you want to phrase it, whatever's natural for you, but make sure that people know what you're giving them is not your opinion, but the truth of God's Word. That's your authority. That's your responsibility, but it's your authority to speak it. It gives you the right to say what you say. When you have opportunity to speak to people over and over again, teach the truth systematically. Understand there's a beginning point. There's an end game. There's a whole lot of stuff in the middle that should be put together in some context of order. And how, are you, how in the world are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do that by yourself first assimilating the truth of God so that you have something to share with them. You need to be a diligent student of the Word of God so that what you give is what you have been given. Look at Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28, starting at verse 9, says this, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. What did he just tell us? Who is the one that God is going to most effectively use his word to teach truth to? It's the one who gets taught and taught and taught in a systematic, structured way. So as you have opportunity, as there are people in your life that you can give continued instruction to, be careful to give them continued systematic instruction so that they have a base on which to understand things, and you can build on that base, precept by precept. That means principle by principle. Line by line. Build it slowly. Build it continually. Build it faithfully. If you've ever done any elementary education, precept by precept, line by line, it's how we teach children to think. People need to be taught to think biblically. They're not doing it naturally. In fact, in this culture, because of the degradation of our education system, people need to be clearly I need to be taught to speak. People need to be taught to think, period. They no longer think. They react. They emote. They feel. But they don't think. We need to regain the ground of the mind. But be mindful of the desperate need for truth regardless of the result. Isaiah 28, go back to it and read the next few verses. For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. So again, we have that duality of God's purpose. Sometimes it will bring life to somebody. They will learn. Sometimes the precept upon precept will just stand at their day of condemnation because they had every opportunity to learn and they rejected it. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to teach the truth regardless of the result. 
Continue to speak the Word of God. Continue to be the person who manifests truth. Remember what we are about. Look at Acts chapter 20. (coughs) Acts chapter 20, and uh, starting at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. This is Paul. And when they had come to him, he said, You know that from the very first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, see, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also among from yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands are provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So we see Paul taking his leave of this church that had become very precious to him. And, and his, his response to them wasn't what we might expect it to be. Paul knew that he was going to Jerusalem. The Spirit had told him again and again and again that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be seized, he would be imprisoned, he would be in chains. And for most of the rest of Paul's ministry, he was a captive of Rome. He understood this. He was told by many people who gave him this word, please don't go to Jerusalem. And he said, I had to go. God has compelled me. I'm going bound in the spirit. I have to go to Jerusalem. There's no way around it. But he comes to this church at Ephesus and he, he speaks to the elders and he gives them this remarkable speech in which he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So I want to ask you this question. Do you want to be innocent of the blood of all men? 
Or do you want their blood being counted against you? Your responsibility is not to save them. Your responsibility is to speak the truth to them. You don't have the option to spare their feelings so that maybe they'll like you later and you can get something from them or or maybe think you'll have another chance later because you won't. If you establish the principle whereby you are the person who does not tell them the truth of God now, then later on when it's a bigger issue and it's harder, do you think you're going to step up then? No. You won't, because you'll already have time invested in this relationship. This is a person now that you, you want to have as a friend. And if you've already established the ground and the principle wherein you say to yourself, I'm not going to risk the friendship to tell them these things that I believe, then in the end you're guilty of their blood. And Paul warned the elders at Ephesus that they needed to be careful to always remember what they were about. He gave them very specific instructions as elders to guard the flock, to be mindful of the savage wolves that would rise up and try to destroy the flock. But you know the same thing is true for every single Christian because you have a sphere of influence. And you are the person that God has placed in that circle who understands spiritual things. It gives you a certain responsibility to be careful of the people that God has given to you. So what we're about is to always speak the truth. He told them, I taught the word to you publicly. So the preaching of the word is the central thing that we do. We are a people of the book. When we come together, we get into the Bible, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We are a people of the book. It should always be the central thing that binds us together. As Christians, that is always true. It should be the thread that's woven through our conversation. It should be the thing that we think about, the thing that we like to talk about, the thing that we like to reflect on, the thing that we like to read together. The scripture should be the thing. As a people of the book, this is incredibly important. I cannot overstate its importance. But he also goes on to say that not only did I teach you publicly, but I taught you from house to house. So there should be the same thing that binds us together in our private conversation as well. You should be mindful of the opportunities to share the truth of God in every place that you go. So if somebody invites you into their home, don't think that that means, oh, I can't say anything religious here. No. They should know who they invited in. That that whole that whole. Don't discuss religion and politics thing. Fine, don't discuss politics. It's just going to raise your blood pressure. But do discuss Christ. Talk about who he is. Display his glory. In every house that you go, Jesus should be the subject. And it should be in its entirety. There is truth and supply for all of our needs in all of the scripture. The whole counsel of God is to be declared. Paul said, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I have declared to you the entire counsel of God. If I knew it, I shared it. If God said it, I repeat it. It's that clear. It's that simple. It's that basic. This becomes common grace to the people who hear. It becomes a vehicle of warning. It becomes a vehicle of admonition. It becomes a vehicle of stirring their affections towards Christ. 
Because as they become aware of the fact that they are guilty in the sight of God and something stirs in them and says, you know, I really don't like the idea of of being under God's wrath for eternity. What do I do? You have the answer to the question. You've been telling them the truth. You've been giving them the answers. You've been telling them who God is and how he expects them to relate to him. You've been telling them that there is a way offered by which they might be forgiven. You have been building up street credits as you have lived faithfully the things that you're telling them are true. This is the life that God calls us to live. And this is the way that God expects us to be obedient to it. Regardless of any circumstance, regardless of any difficulty, regardless of any expected outcome, God tells us, you be the people who bring the reign of my word to the people in whom I have entrusted you. That is your job. That is really your only job. To be a people who gossip the name of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, it talks about the disciples going from town to town, gossiping the gospel. It's a cool expression. I really like it. Because it's the idea that it's just the casual conversation of everything that they are. And it went from house to house, and it went from life to life, and it touched every single person. And God was faithful to bless that labor. I promise you, if you will commit yourself to being a person who honors Christ in this way, God will bless that labor. He will give an increase. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give to us grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us rain-filled clouds, that we would carry the gospel of Christ to every person with whom we have contact. Pray, God, that you would let us not be fearful, let us not be fleshly, let us not be so wrapped up in the things that are ours that we forget that everything that's ours is yours. And I pray, Lord, that as we labor in this field, that you would grant to us a harvest, tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold, God. Let every person here magnify the name of Christ. Lord, that Jesus would be honored is our intent. And I pray that he would be magnified in this place beyond all expectation. We ask it in his name. Amen.